Hello, and welcome to BeyondTheBaselines.com podcast, coming to you from Vero Beach, Florida and Marion, Massachusetts, hosted by Ed Shanafee, USPTA professional and international businessman. This is the podcast that researches and looks at the club management and facility side of our business. My name is Ed Shanafee. I'm uh, president of SBW Associates, BeyondTheBaselines.com, and thank you for coming to join us um, for this town hall, talking about reopening and restructuring your departments as you as we go into the uh, COVID-19 summer. And for some of us, it's going to be a season up north. For a summer season, it's going to be a little different. On a national level, some, some clubs and facilities are already open, and um, some are still closed. Uh, presently, I'm in Florida, uh, where I help out and teach is, is open to the public, is open to the members and public right now, and it's, it's, uh, it's all it's 100%. So everyone's in a different position right now. Um, but I want to welcome everybody on the call today. We have uh, a bunch of club managers and owners. Uh, a few directors of tennis, few directors of fitness. Just for everyone's knowledge, we have uh, a few department heads, food and beverage people. Um, we have a couple of directors of tennis operations. I'd like to point out Patrick Kearns' group on Facebook, if you don't know about it, the COVID-19 support group on, on Facebook, USPTA COVID-19 support. And I'd also like to point out to the club managers, I'm sure they know, but uh, for the directors of tennis and fitness, the CMAA, the Club Managers Association of America, and the National Club Association are doing tons of work, and they're all online, so you can have a look at their. Okay. Um, and please do stop me anytime anyone wants to ask a question. Just unmute yourselves. If you're not, it's probably wiser to keep yourself muted, and then if you want to ask a question, to unmute yourself. Um, just a quick overview of what we do. Um, we go into clubs, help manage help find new programming ideas, find new staff, improve your staff. That's what we do. Um, we've, we've helped out a bunch of clubs over the winter pre-COVID and then a few during COVID because of uh, changes in their summer plans. But you can always, uh, by the way, this will, is being recorded and uh, it'll be up on the website under the podcast page. So if you wanna go back and look at anything, please do. Um, this is me. Uh, presently, uh, I'm director of tennis up at Sipican, up in Marion, Massachusetts. Uh, I was over at Edgartown before that, and um, been around and up and down the East Coast for many years. I was over in London and ran a uh, international advertising and marketing firm over there. And then also joining us today is Renee McCarthy. She's uh, Director of uh, Human Resources at Suntree, which is a two golf course, six tennis courts, three restaurant club, big club up in Melbourne, Florida. And before that, she was at um, she was the head controller and accounts receivables for Formosa, which is a big food supplier up in New York City, New York State, Long Island. Renee, are you there? Can you say hello? Hi. Yes, I'm here. All right, great. Thank you, Renee, for being here. And we have a team of six people. These are the clubs we've been working with over the last, I guess, year and a half to two years. 
Um, hopefully you'll see some of clubs you know, maybe some clubs you don't know. But we're really based on the East Coast, as you can see. But we're branching out, slow but steady. For whom the bell tolls. As we all know, and this is the un, uh, indescribable situation we're in right now, no member or uh, a membership or staff member is going to feel that the staff and the club is going to look the same after this uh, pandemic. So the first thing to think about as we go forward is that what we know as the regular is not there. If your staff looks different, people are going to expect that. So it's not a time to try to get back to an old normal. It's probably time to go forward to a new normal. I've heard some, some stats before I start off, I've heard some stats that this pandemic could put the country club industry back 10 to 20 years in terms of services to members. It could also put real estate prices back in certain parts. Um, social distancing is going to affect different sports in different ways. Think of squash versus tennis or golf versus pickleball. Social distancing is going to be very different with each sport. Swimming, another summer seasonal club sport. Um, already I'm seeing uh, a lot of uh, interest in one-on-one -on -one doubles, if anyone knows what that is. I'm sure you all do, but um, I've seen it now. There's a league in Florida just, called, just started up called um, cross-court doubles, which is basically one-on-one -on -one doubles. Um, so clubs are going to see very different normals, quote-unquote, as we open up. What's very surprising to see is I've seen some uh, financials, and this is the toughest part right now. Clubs may save money in 2020 if they don't open. And I think we all know that might happen to some of our clubs. The governors might get nervous. They might get uh, uh, a little uh, wary of going forward. But what can happen is if, if they do their financials in three different ways, one way would be full operation. Second way would be partial operation. And the third way is total closure. Some of those governors are seeing that total closure actually is the healthiest and safest way forward through the present pandemic. I'm not, nor should anyone advocate that, but sometimes that's what the numbers show. So we should know that going into this. With that in mind, we need to have liquidity. If we're going to open up, we need to have cash on hand as a club or as a facility. How do you get to liquidity? Staff cuts, payroll cuts, cross-training your staff. So some staff members who are maybe instructors might be on the front desk, might move to food and beverage. And the, what I think is going to happen to a lot of uh, year-round clubs is a lot of the full-time clubs are going to go and move your uh, year-round clubs are going to go move their full-time staff to part-time. That will affect healthcare. That will affect 401k matching. And some clubs may make full-time instructors, directors, pros seasonal depending on what they foresee over the next six to 12 months. So liquidity is going to be important for clubs and departments. And so as a department head, just know that you're going to have to slash your budget. You might have to bring in few instruct, fewer instructors. You might have to cut the number of things you order as in teaching aids, which again with social distancing aren't very possible right now. You may have to cut other things that you haven't even thought about yet. Availability. This is uh, for GMs and for directors, department heads. 
got to be on property. This is not a vacation. Members want to see you there. Technology allows us to show that we're there. We can show videos. We can be on Zoom calls like we are now. And we want to update the stakeholders, members, and staff on a very uh, regular basis. And fl finally, flexibility, cross-training. That's what going back up to cross-training of staff. We're going to have to use staff in different ways. You can't just say you're on, a, on the court all day. Uh, maybe that your junior instructors are going to have to do the maintenance with gloves in the morning. Um, and what's going to come down to is how we view the economic crisis and how we make those decisions. So here we go. And Renee, I'm sure there'll be some questions here and I'll open it up to questions after this page. Um, the first thing and, and liquidity, availability and flexibility. I try to make it a, a smiling bit and I call it laugh because uh, unfortunately it's reality. So full-time salary, the full-time salaried employees probably going to have to take a salary cut. We're seeing five to 15% across the board for senior staff. Uh, 401k uh, matches may stop. The, the club matches with 401k uh, giving, they, they might see that. Uh, expenses, travel and entertainment will probably be cut to almost zero to essential travel, no entertainment. And the use of vacation, personal days, and sick leave may be mandated differently by your employer. We're going to have a staggered reopening for those clubs that aren't open right now. Obviously, focusing on safety for your staff and for your members. It's going to help with the budgeting and cash flow. If you turn the switch on right away, your cash flow is going to be heavy. If you turn it on slower, your cash flow is going to be steadier. Here's an interesting point that has come up a bit with conversations we've had. What's going to be the perceived usage? What are we going to estimate our usage as, as, as a department head of tennis or fitness or a club manager against what the members are actually going to come out and use? Now, I, I can tell you in Florida, the golf courses are packed. No one's gone back up to New York. You can't get a tee time for a week. It's insanely busy down here on the golf courses. Tennis courts too. Several, several of the clubs where I am in Vero Beach, you can't get a court in the mornings. Between 8 and noon, it's 100% full. Because we have 90% occupancy of all the homeowners down here who usually leave by now and go up to Boston, New York, Chicago, Detroit, back up to the north and hinterlands. And finally, your reclassification of workers. In order to gain liquidity and gain cash, would it be worth your while to change your change your instructors if they're employees to independent contractors, or as we are suggesting, to make them a rental-based employment or contract. By that I mean, you charge your, your, um, your contractor in a, a, a rental fee for, for being at the club. Say it's just for example, say it's $1,000 a week. That's a guaranteed income per employee back to the club. If that employee doesn't get the member usage that we're expecting, you'd have zero if they had no lessons. But if they have to pay to be there as an independent contractor, at least you're guaranteeing yourself and the club some income. Very important in these times. Availability to membership and stakeholders, your primary equity members, starting with governance. You need to include them in your budgeting and revenues if you're a club manager. Be transparent, show them the health of the club or the financial unhealthiness of the club. 
but you can only go forward if your equity members or your owners know how you're spending your money, how you're cutting your staff, how you're cutting payrolls, how you're cutting your own payroll. They need to see that. You need their support. Communication. Firstly, the CDC and local guidelines. The board has to be aware of all those guidelines. So please send those guidelines to your board consistently and regularly as they change. Each state right now is different. I know I've sent a few of you uh, Connecticut camp guidelines. There's also the Georgia guidelines are out there. I think Florida has guidelines. I'm personally waiting for the Massachusetts guidelines. Community, this, that, and everything else. So I'm on a Zoom call right now. No, 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 that's fine, that's fine, I'm muted. No, somebody's not muted. Um, but anyhow, look at your zoo, uh, look at your CDC and local guidelines, your state guidelines. Um, there's a lot of YMCA camp guidelines out there. Um, so please check those out and communicate those to your governors and to your owners. Also very important to be limiting your expectations and the expectations of your governors, owners, and stakeholders. It's not going to be a switch on when the switch goes on. It's going to be staggered and phased as we reopen. So several, several states are ahead of other states, and I've seen it here in Florida. I've seen it up in North Carolina too, but slow and steady opening. It's not gonna be a light switch and everyone's gonna be on. What's happening is here in Florida, we're basically open for business, but the streets are empty. People are rare, rarely going out to Publix. They're not going out often they're trying not to go out as often as they once did. Now, tennis is busy. Golf is busy because those are socially distanced sports. But things like TJ Maxx and Target, they're empty. People are ordering online. How are those differences going to affect you? Membership services. Reopening guidelines to all your members. Use emails and videos for your staff instructors to keep them intrigued with the sport of golf, with the sport of tennis, with pickleball, with the swimming, with the camp, if camp's going to happen for the kids. Keep those emails and videos going. Use your text database. Consistently talk with your members. The importance of maintaining dues payments through this time is crucial for liquidity. That goes back up to liquidity. If your members say they want a refund, the club's going to be shorter and shorter and shorter of cash. So what we're doing is we're actually starting a, a on, online a retail shop so that our members can buy all their logoed and uh, uh, tennis clothing for both their juniors and for themselves. So online shops, a lot of clubs down here have been doing, because of the age group down here, they've been doing online grocery stores. So you go to your clubhouse and you can get all your food stuffs. You avoid the big markets. You get all your toilet paper and your bounty towel roll, but anything online you can do, turn your retail shop online turn your videos online. We're gonna have a junior instruction orientation with our 240 kids on Zoom. We're gonna do a, a, an orientation on June 8th with all our juniors through Zoom. So think of those kinds of things, keeping your members involved. All right, I'll continue. And please stop me, just cut me off if you have a question relating to anything that comes up. Your availability to staff as a GM or a director, again, You've got to keep the CDC and local guidelines in their heads. 
probably weekly management meetings to discuss any issues that you've had, lack of wearing masks or gloves on property, anything that's forgotten or anything that has been thought of in that past week. Remember, it's gonna be a phased opening. What we're looking at doing is having staggered teams on property. For example, and Renee, I know you have a big agronomy team up there at Suntree. Um, a lot of golf clubs are actually having half the staff on agronomy work one week, take them home and put another team for the next week in case someone gets sick. You have a week to find out if they're actually COVID positive. Something to think about, staggering your teams. The other thing we, we have, we are gonna institute this summer at, at Sipican where I'm a director is, is the same clinic is gonna be sit, taught by the same instructor. That way, if you look at the camp guidelines of Connecticut, for example, if one person in a clinic tests positive, that whole clinic should not be coming back for 14 days. Anyone in that clinic. Now, if you've had four instructors teaching that one clinic, that means all four instructors are off the books. So one clinic, one instructor. One test comes back positive, only one instructor can't work. You don't want your instructors to be cross-training across different clinics because that could be very detrimental in that you'll lose more staff if someone tests positive. Okay, also, whoops, also with budgetary constraints, with your staff, be transparent, reaffirm, reaffirm the loss of revenues. If there are members asking for refunds on their membership dues, make sure your staff knows that so they don't think that the club is pocketing all the money. Make sure if this key staff gets a pay cut, publicize that to them, let them know because they're probably gonna have a pay cut or, or worse. Show them the predictions of recession. We've seen up to 30% year on year gross revenues dropping in the, in the club industry. And yes, share with them, unfortunately, loss of employment at other clubs, other positions, so that they know that their job is not safe. So it won't become that big a surprise when and if you have to either cut their salary, cut their contract, change their reporting structures. Also, reducing hours. And this was a question, and Renee, I'm gonna ask you to come in here. The reduction of hours of full-time staff, how does that affect your healthcare? And Renee, could you answer that please for me? Because that was a direct question from one of our participants. Sure. Due to what's happening, and this is all new for everybody, that when the employees are furloughed, as long as you are still paying, the club is paying the full premiums on all the insured employees, they will not lose their coverage. If they come back, like we're in phase one in Florida, they come back during phase one, it's a 25% capacity. They're not working their full hours. They're still covered under the health insurance. Right. And so even if they, I think the, the law is that you have to work at least 30 hours minimum per week to stay under health coverages, but that, that law is actually being waived at the moment as, as you're putting it, I guess. Correct. Okay. And, and the other thing that we forget, Renee, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but most clubs that offer or employers that offer healthcare coverage have to keep a minimum number of employees on that healthcare coverage to keep the package. Yes, that is also being waived at the time. That is being waived at this time too. Okay. Now, if you wind up with, you have nobody on your healthcare plan, then you would have to go in as a new company coming in when you go to reapply, when you start opening up again. Okay. So at the moment, you can reduce hours of full-time staff 
maintain their health care coverage, hopefully if you have the liquidity that we're talking about. And the only time that you could, as an employer, get in trouble with this is if you ended up with nobody on your health care plan. Thanks for that clarification. Any questions on that? We have uh, a bunch of people out there. I can see the numbers. So um, please feel free to ask questions. So the third part of LAF, liquidity, availability, and flexibility, is going to be quick decision making. And this is actually, I think, where we as a group of directors and club managers are going to be the most under pressure because we wanna provide our mem members with those regular membership services, but we're not gonna have a full staff. We can't afford it. People will be getting sick. People will feel sick and not come to work. And therefore we're going to have to ad lib, quote unquote, to keep membership happy and willing to pay their dues. So things I've, I've just nodded down here that I've seen already happening Instructors going to the front desk, um, instructors doing more maintenance, and in this time of closure, upgrades to the facility. If you received a PPP grant or loan from the Small Business Association, you have to use that within eight weeks. Now, if you're closed, your instructors aren't teaching. So now they're painting, now they're sanding, and now they're oiling teak and cleaning windows and doors to keep their salaries. You have to keep their salaries at a, at, a, at a similar level through those eight weeks under the PPP standards. If you have food and beverage needs coming in, you might want to cross train your, your tennis or golf or fitness staff to help with food and beverage needs. Because food and beverage is going to be under heavy pressure with, with all these protocols. Things are going to be much slower, so they may need additional staff in that certain department if you're cross training across a country club. The facility usage is going to be different as well. And this is where summer clubs are going to really be under pressure. May up north is really, is, is really a washout. June might be a slow start. July might be average. But God hoping COVID is kind of gone by August. No one will be traveling. All your families will be at the club and you're going to be short staffed. How are you going to deal with that? If you have every member, as we do here in Florida, with 90% occupancy right now, when we usually get 30% occupancy in some of these gated communities, how are you going to deal with that if you've let two or three of your staff members go, or some of your staff members, and this is something we can talk about, which I'll ask later, some of your staff members won't want to come to work because they're afraid of getting sick. How is the usage of the facility going to change when you have spaced out tea times? Tea times are changing, so will that actually change your court reservation times? You see an uptick at certain times because people can't play golf. How will the lack of dining reservations, as Renee said, we can only here in Florida see 25% of our covers. Does that mean more people will be playing tennis at 6.30 at night? We have to stay open and keep a staff member on duty. And how are the different uses by membership? As I said, the retail online or different timings for golf, how is that going to affect your department as a tennis director or fitness director? These are all questions you have to ask yourself. Number one is, I think August could be a boom month. How are you going to prepare for it? Finally, just in the, to conclude, all these questions are going to require daily management, looking at revenue streams, looking at club usage, looking at membership usage, and understanding 
how things are growing and changing on a day-to-day basis. Communication with stakeholders, members, and staff on a daily basis. Important to keep them in the loop. Seek legal counsel when required in terms of terminating someone if you need to cut, their, cut them off completely. Make sure you have legal counsel. Make sure you have a non-disclosure agreement if needed. But finally, and the most important thing I think, is estimated usage. I don't know if we can estimate our usage and what the real usage is going to be. Therefore, we have to be flexible and ready for that. And I open up the floor. I have a couple questions for Renee, but anybody have questions out there? Oh, I see. Okay, here we go. I've got some questions over here. Does this apply to both indoor and outdoor? I don't know who. Oh, from Joseph Caruth. Does Joseph, are you still there? I'm not sure if you. I'm not sure if I understand your question of does this apply to both indoor and outdoor? The protocol. Yeah, I'm still here. Are you there? Yeah. All right. What, what can you describe your question for me, please? Okay, so. I see a bunch of the things that you have in there. And it seems like it's a lot more complicated if the tennis is indoor as opposed to outdoor. Yes, I think it is more complicated. Wouldn't you agree? <laughs> Number one is, is that it's not scientifically proven, but I think the reason Florida, Georgia, Texas are doing better in this is that the, the virus is killed by sunlight. Now, we've heard that from the CDC. I don't know if that's proven, but I think because we're going into a summer and an and, and outdoor facility, the virus won't be as contagious. Indoors, it seems to like the indoor uh, environment more. So I think you'd have to be extra careful on the indoor facility for sure. Um, you know, with touching net posts, getting all your furniture off the courts, you know, demo rackets. I mean, lots of things we can think of. The, 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 the protocols are out there. Um, if anyone needs a, a sample protocol, just go to the USTA site. They've got it there, on, both for facilities and both for tennis players. Patrick, Patrick put out, like, uh, with the uh, uh, support group, a really, really good... That wonderful spreadsheet. Yeah. yeah I that's... use it every day, Patrick. Thank you so much. <laughs> But yes, that's worth its weight in gold. But well, I will say that I have, and I've sent them. I know Joe's on the court. Joe Holland's on the town, but I sent it out to a few pros. The Connecticut uh, state has sent out um, mandates for camps, and those really come into like into junior clinics. They gave a great uh, they give a great background and idea as to how you should work camps that that's where that idea comes from where one group goes down with one person coming positive with COVID that you've got to let the whole group go 14 days but I think that indoors and outdoors are completely different and I think you must run with a different indoor protocol set because indoors is just tougher people are closer they, they tend to accumulate indoors more outdoors they don't accumulate and and and, and together by the side of the court as much. Got another question here. Uh, on a, at our club, anytime we are not on the court, we get paid an admin rate. This is probably for you, uh, Renee. Is there a labor law 
that prohibits being paid lower rate than employees actually doing that job. For example, desk staff gets paid $12 an hour, but an instructor doing desk duty will only get $10 an hour. Kind of like a most favored nations employee law. Is there anything out there like that, Renee? As long as an employee is being paid the state minimum wage, mm -hmm. then the company is fine. So you can have an employee doing the same task at a, at a, at a desk job for a different rate. Correct, as long as they're getting paid minimum wage. Okay. Michelle, does that answer your question, I hope? I see you're there, Michelle. Anyhow, that's okay. Uh, it is an important one. These, these, when you change your classification of a job, this is a big one, you can change the classification of any job, you just have to pay that person minimum wage. So if someone's on desk at $14 an hour, you can also pay a junior instructor to run the same job at $10 an hour. Uh, I have another question here. If, uh, if employed hourly by a club and they were requiring you to put in extra time to sanitize equipment, are they required to pay you for this extra time? Yes or no? That's a good one, Renee. What do you think? Absolutely. Right. If the employer is asking an employee to do something, whether it's in their job description or not, they need to be on the clock. Okay. So there you go. So basically, what I have done with my group is, and I've warned my members of this, our lessons are going to be 52 minutes because we think it's going to take eight minutes to desanitize the court and clean the balls and get ready for the next lesson. So you could actually go out there, your members, and say that you know lessons are going to be slightly shorter. Now you might—they're going to probably come back and say you got to give me my money back or prorate your rate, but that's something you can decide between you and your members. Uh, let's go back up to this one. Great questions, thank you, folks. One area affects the other. What do you suggest with regulating common areas? Example: front desk traffic and parking lot and valet services. Well, front desk. We're trying to keep, I know most clubs are trying to keep the front desk closed so that you're actually online reservations only and you walk straight to your court. You have a TV outside with the court reservation bookings online. That's great because people can see those and then go straight to the court. If not, you're going to have to have someone out there to direct traffic with that court reservation sheet or on their phone. Uh, my club, just for example, we have a small shop. Well, we have a big shop, but a small front desk area. And that front desk area, we're allowing one member and one staff member at a time. We have plexiglass being put in between the desk, staff, and that member area. And everyone inside the clubhouse has to wear masks. Obviously, we're in Massachusetts. Technically, we have to wear masks outside the house at all times. Um, in terms of valet services, I would say that's a very dangerous position to be in if you're valeting cars. Now, this is an interesting one. I have not heard about this. Are any clubs requiring their staff to be tested prior to returning to work? Anybody else have any information on that? I haven't heard of that, but I do hear a lot of companies are taking employees' temperatures upon entering the club. That, that is very true. We, we, we are debating that at, at several clubs, whether we take um, uh, temperatures. Now, there is a certain and I'm not a lawyer on this, but there's something about personal health. I think it's called the HIPAA law. Mm -hmm. And 
it could be an invasion of that law if you require members and or staff. I think there's a different categorization between members and staff if you require to take their temperature. Um, I'm not an expert on that. I don't know anything about it, um, but I have heard there's some conflict there. Uh, someone's put down golden racket safety rules. Thank you so much. Um, Fairfax County Parks and Rec is currently paying pandemic pay. So Joseph, that must have been, uh, they must be insured for that in some respect. Yeah, I don't know. So, I mean, it's, uh, they're paying it for everybody. And then they're also offering you to go to work in other places. So you can volunteer to go to work in other places. For example, they need people to monitor the parks. So if you're willing to go and monitor the parks, which means you go there and make sure that people aren't coming in or that they're maintaining social distance and such. Uh, I don't know, they had, I don't like, a lot of parks where they needed uh, two people at each park to, to, you know, to go over there and do that. Right. They will pay you for that. And then plus they pay you for pandemic pay if you can't get on the court or you can't get into your area due to the pandemic. So they're, they pay, they're paying you. Uh, if you take another job, it's like, I think it's two thirds of your pay, but if you get if you volunteer for a different position that you're not trained for. But if you do like tennis, I get paid still every day that I'm not there. Well, here's- now here's, I don't know how they do that. I don't know how that's funded. Well, now, there's a, there's a point here from Matt, and Matt Boughton, thanks so much for this. Uh, his club is now providing all part-time staff with sick pay to discourage employees from coming to work while sick. Obviously, that is a major concern. If your staff feels sick, they should stay home. And so if you can provide sick pay, now normally, Renee, there isn't sick pay for part-time staff, correct? It's company policies. It's, it's not federally company. mandated. It's not mandated by federal statute. Now, let me ask a question about this. If you uh, furlough your worker, say you furlough your worker, now they can use to get paid, they can use, first of all, their sick pay, correct? If, right. If the company offers part-time, full-time employees, sick time, PTO, vacation, yep. they can use that. So but that jeopardize their unemployment, though. You have to remember the unemployment. Yeah, so if they do so if they do that, they could go through their sick pay PTO time and I guess not personal days, but but then they can't but then they can't really uh, apply for unemployment in that period. Correct. Correct? In most cases, most of the employees are going to benefit being on unemployment due to the federal government issuing the $600 a week to people who are collecting unemployment. 600 plus the state's pay because I think in addition to the state employment right. That's, so that's one of my biggest issues is, and I'm going to ask you this, Renee, what do I do with someone who I call for, for to come back to work and they can make more staying on unemployment? Do I just let them go? What should I, I mean, can I let them go for that? Can I just say you're terminated? Well, you want to offer their job back in writing, whether you do it through an email or send them a letter, you want to explain that, the, you know, your position is resuming. This is a date that we expect you back to work. Either they respond or don't show. If they don't show, it's a no call, no show. They are then terminated at that point. If they respond back and say that they're afraid, 
that they're not coming back to work, then as the company as a whole is going to have to create a, a policy. And then from that point on, that takes precedence. So anybody else is in that situation, you follow the same, <clears throat> same decision that you guys came up with the first one. So you can't have different decisions for different employees. Okay. Uh, so let me, so you can't do different things between employees. So basically if someone says, I'm afraid to come back to work, and I don't want to come back to work because of COVID. You can, if you have a company policy, terminate that person for that. You want to create your this is going to be a new policy that's going to be added to your employee handbook. Whatever decision that you come come to as a group, that will be your policy for a pandemic event. Right. Okay. Now I've got another a great. Uh, I've got Brian Rosenthal. You got your hand up. Did you want to say something? Yeah, thanks for the opportunity, Ed. Um, my, my company is based in Raleigh, North Carolina. We we manage tennis programs throughout this state, Washington, D.C., and Central Florida. And the lifeline of my revenue stream are summer camps. So I just wanted to get an idea of what you guys, whether it's people that are on this or, or just Ed in general, um, you know, my transition to summer is likely going to eliminate full-day camps to avoid you know, locker rooms, indoor buildings, things that would create bad optics and just try to transition everything to half day, no matter where the venue is, whatever region that we're operating. Um, that is a question I want to see if you guys have considered eliminating all full day camps this summer. And in addition, you know, can you run a large camp uh, of 30 plus kids by separating them throughout the facilities, uh, spreading out the tennis courts? Because, you know, if you don't get to phase two, with more than 10 people in a group, you're really looking at, you know, perhaps nine kids max in a camp with just one instructor. And that's in all essence, devastating to the revenue stream of what we do. And I'm sure many of you guys. So those are the key things I wanted to see what this group uh, we're thinking about moving forward here as we get, you know, we're only four weeks away from the summer. Right. Uh, anyone have any answers for that? I do, but I'd like to hear other people's. All right. So, uh, Brian, I'll take that on for a little bit, and I hope someone else chimes in. All right. Thanks, Ed. So the Massachusetts, I think, is going to match the Connecticut guidance. Connecticut sent out, and I, I can send – if anyone wants this, just email me, and I'll send it out to you, the Connecticut guidance for camps. And that's what I'm going to go by because I think Massachusetts, Rhode Island is going to match it. They haven't done it yet, but I think that's what they're going to do. They're allowing groups of 10 to 1. Yep. I am not going to go there because of what you said, Brian, with the optics. So what I'm doing is I have – and here, here we go, perceived usage versus real usage. Normally, my kids in Massachusetts are in school till June 22nd, June 23rd, in New York. And my first session is, I do two week sessions. My first session starts June 15th. That's normally just a few private kids and local kids that live in the area. I usually have eight to 15 kids. I have 85 signed up. So what I'm going to do is teach family siblings only for the first two weeks. So number one, if even if they're different levels, I'm gonna keep them in the same group by themselves. So if it's family three, they're gonna be on the court for an hour and a half to two hours with one instructor. Now, what I've asked my board to do is give me all eight courts. Our courts are fortunately very separated. All eight courts from basically 10.30 till about four because I'm gonna to have to do each group individually by family. It's not the best, 
but it gets the kids out of the house and that, and that, and the adults are happy. Now, given that, there's another uh, protocol. If you've just arrived into the area, you cannot be in a group with any other kid at any time for 40 days. So we're kind of doing our own contact tracing, saying if you just come into town, you're definitely your own group. I have a couple groups where kids have said they've hung out together already, and therefore they'll be in the same group. But if you're coming in from out of town, definitely going to be separated wholeheartedly and entirely. Anybody else have any ideas on, on that? And I, I do think, Brian, it's going to change by July 1st, July 15th. I think it'll be even different. It's going to be a, a running motif through the summer. Yeah. I mean, I was considering dropping a lot of June programming to avoid all of those boundaries and and, 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 and getting through just operating somewhat normal as we progress through the summer. It's going to be hotter, which you alluded to earlier. The virus may struggle in these extremely warm North Carolina, Florida, D.C. conditions. Um, another question was temperature checks. Is anyone required to do that now and, and likely going to as they proceed here in, for summer camp with staff or students? We, yeah, I see Matt saying, no, we're, we're not doing that either. Okay. We're not checking temperatures. Yeah, a lot, of a lot of venues are for a step. Mike, Sorry, we, Mike, go ahead. Uh, Matt, go ahead. Um, yeah, we just found that it's not, it's not accurate because people with asymptomatic symptoms, I mean, they're, they're not going to show with a temperature, so. Okay. Here's Thank you, one. Ed. You're welcome. Sorry, anybody else have a, 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 an answer for Mr. RDU Tennis down there, Brian? <laughs> Anybody? Kevin, I saw you want, you got your hand up, Kevin. Go ahead. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I got you. Hey, hi, right. Kevin. So, yeah, so hi, everybody. This is great information. Um, one thing that we're doing here in Northeast Ohio is putting together a task force. So everybody is, um, you know, on the same guidelines, but we are really restricted to Governor DeWine and his um, CDC regulations. So, um, I think we're all in the same boat. We're just kind of um, waiting and seeing what phases are going to be open for tennis um, patients. That's all I can say. Yep. Yep. I agree. And Kevin, before you mute yourself again. Yeah. Uh, front desk, what, what, valet services. What, what, what do you mean by that? And your question about uh, different areas affecting others. Well, just the sanitation. I was just saying where everybody was with hand wipes. Um, Brian in North Carolina was talking about the temperature. Um, it's kind of interesting when you're opening up golf here in Ohio, you have one golf cart, uh, unless you're in the same household. And in tennis, I run a tennis academy in Beachwood, Ohio, and I have a small walkway. And I'm trying to figure out the best um, – you know, common area space that I'm allowing my students um, to walk six feet apart. I'm going to try to keep my parents in the car, try to use square instead of cash, even though cash is king in my business. Um, so, you know, when, when you're kind of reflecting golf and tennis, it's just really um, the protocols of sanitation. Right. Right. No, I agree. Yep. I think that's something that we have to kind of, take into consideration when you're opening parks and recs 
and country clubs that have uh, amenities outside of on and off court uh, policies. Thanks for that. Yeah, thank you. Got a question here from Michelle, Michelle Byrne again. Uh, will employers be able, will employee, employers be able to take away earned sick days or P, I think PTO, paid time off, once employees have returned? Stagger, this is for you, Renee. Staggering start times, my daughter's club is, uh, I think, oh yeah, that was the first question. Will employers be able to take away earned sick days or PTO once employers have returned? Employees. Okay. That's all gonna depend on the company. Um, most companies that I have been speaking to, they are not requesting uh, or mandating the employees to take any a lot of the companies are saying they're not making the employees, there's no mandate on them forcing them to use any of their time. This is not the employees, it was completely out of the employer and employees control. So we're not penalizing the employees for have being off. Okay, everyone understand that? Any questions on that? Employers shouldn't really do that is what we're saying. Okay, so Michelle Byrne is saying that she thinks it's a good, good, good optic if the club is doing something to screen people. Uh, yes, I agree, but I just refer you to the, the law that I think it's called the HIPAA law. And I think there's going to be some uptake on that uh, in the near future from, from staff members especially. I think that's all I got. Any other questions here? We've got Renee on the line. She's ready for HR questions. Anything? Uh, I just saw something I, I had written down. And uh, what I wanted to say was, um, if, if, you, if, you limit, um, if, if you limit it to one person in the staff room, or one, one person in the shop, and one member, just remember that member services is going to be a lot slower. So that's one thing to think about is in terms of your protocols to keep reminding your members that the staff, that the staff is doing their best, but membership levels and concierging members and stakeholders and owners is not going to be as good as it has been in the past. And as long as they're educated in that, we'll all get through it together. But if they're not, if you don't tell your members that they're going to be like, what's going on? Why aren't I getting service? And you know, some people, I've seen it, tennis addicts, they don't care if it's one member or two members there. They want their court at the right time when they want their, their balls and their, their goods. Just keep reminding them by email, via text, that it's not 100%. We're not up to par yet, and we're getting there. That's the last thing I want to say. Anybody else have any closing words? All right. I got a question. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Hands up. I was trying to chat or type it in, but I was too slow. Um, is anyone doing like a senior only time since that's our most vulnerable age group? That's a great question. I, I thought about it and uh, we, my manager and I decided not to do it um, for several reasons. But one is we thought our seniors might be offended because they're, it's not like you're going to the grocery store. It's saying that you're an older player. <laughs> so we just thought maybe not. Um, and then also we were thinking, how would the younger 
you know, the younger people, we were thinking going in the mornings, everything's been sanitized. How would the younger members who will work be barring them from courts? That's the other problem we had was if you allow an old, one, one group of people, we see it with men's day. We have enough trouble with men's day, right? <laughs> if you let one group of people go out there and barring, barring another group of members or stakeholders or however you want to call it, owners. Joseph Carruth, you got, a, you got your hand up. Do you have an answer for that one? Yeah, because, well, I mean, at Fairfax Racket Club, I told you about the Golden Rackets. Right. The Golden Rackets get about five, from, from about five hours a day, five days a week, court time at, uh, at uh, Fairfax Racket Club. Okay, so those are contracted. Everything's paid for in advance. So the Golden Rackets have that, have that court time and they usually take up anywhere from four to six courts for each one of those sessions. Usually there's at least two sessions a day, uh, one in one at around 12 and then one a little bit, maybe at 1.30. So these are older people, the golden rackets. Yeah, they're older people. So I don't think that they would scoff at having that ability to have that. No, I don't, I, I don't think that either. What Matt's asking is like the grocery stores have done. Should you make a specific time for the at-risk population slash demographic of your club to come to the club where you are even more careful so to speak, with the sanitation and the protocols and the sanitizing. and Yeah, well, what I'm trying to say is that the times are usually like at 12 o'clock to 4 o'clock, two different sessions. And older people. And so, but it's not just, I mean, there's 12 courts in the facility. So everybody's in there with the older people. Yeah, see, that's what we're talking about is maybe. Right. You know, because kids and, and, you know, this is an interesting thing. I, I called the head of Falmouth, uh, the ER up there. He's a member of mine. And, and I, I called him to say, hey, what's it like up there in the Cape and South Coast where I work? And he, he was very calm and collected. And he said, yeah, we probably all had it in my family. My kid had a COVID toes. You see, COVID toes, have you heard about this, everybody? I had never heard about it. And it's been known for about a month. But kids get like a, a slight rash on their toes, apparently, when they have COVID. So, you, but that's their symptom. Now, we wouldn't know that as directors or club managers, right? But there they are at 12 o'clock playing next to an older age group. So this is what Matt's saying is, you know, the kids who are out there in camp, if they happen to be next to, they could be carrying the virus and, and, and being completely asymptomatic because most kids are. And yet they're playing next to an 80-year-old. And maybe that's what Matt's driving at. Yeah, what, what I was getting at was, because I'm thinking about just doing a time where it's only, se only seniors can use the facility, not limiting their time to just that time, but for those who maybe don't feel safe coming back, because I'm, I'm indoor, I'm an indoor facility. Right. Um, so just doing like a 7.30 to 9 in the morning is senior only. You know, they can feel free to come in any other time, but for those members that are just not 100% sure, that gives them the facility with their spouse or with their small group. Okay. Now I got, I got a question here uh, from Lily Biederman. I know she's up in uh, Vermont up there. Hi, Lily. 
what are people doing about hand, size, hand sanitizers? Are you putting them on every court? Anybody? Yeah, they have it everywhere at Fairfax Racket. Yep. Matt started, they started putting it like everywhere, all over the place, making it available almost everywhere you stop. If people are just having audio, Matt's nodding very vociferously. Same. Yep. Anybody else who owns or, or manages a, a system? We just, just, just to go through some of the simple protocols, we're trying to put sanitizers everywhere. Um, but we're also no, no common water, no water fountains, no lemonade, no iced tea. Uh, everyone has to bring their own towel, has to bring their own water bottle, filled. Uh, there's just nothing available at the club other than tennis courts and, and pick up at the side for any accessories or balls not coming in the shop for purchases. Someone's written, Chris Bull has written down uh, hand sanitizer, disinfectant spray, and disposable gloves at every court where he is. Chris, thank you for that. Um, any other questions? No. Hi, this is, hi, yep. this is Michelle Byrne. Hi, Michelle. Hi, I was wondering, I know that USTA is not doing sanctioned tournaments, but is anybody doing UTR tournaments? Good question. Anybody have an answer? I don't know the answer to that, so I'm going to say I don't know. But somebody I here. UTR, I think UTR is opening up, according to the stuff, the links that I've been getting is opening up some uh, demonstration matches, but they haven't opened up play for everybody. Yeah, UTR had that pro tour tournament this weekend, didn't they? Yeah. Ray Beach. Um, okay, now Chuck's got a question. Thank you, Chuck, for your question here. You said he's late to the call, tsk, tsk, tsk. <laughs> but any discussion on waivers? Has anyone, we did not have a discussion on waivers. Uh, our discussion was more on liquidity, availability of members, and flexibility of, of workforce. So waivers, anybody on waivers? Anyone imposing them at your facility? My, Matt, looks like you want to answer. Um, we've, we've talked to some lawyers and it doesn't seem that if there's a, a waiver that would stand up regardless. Yeah. That if somebody wanted to challenge any waiver that you came up with, they could and they would win. I, 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 I'm, I'm looking at it the other way. I think it's going to be very difficult to prove where you picked up a COVID case. I, it's going to be well nigh impossible. So on the other side, you can't claim a club was negligent because you can't prove where you picked up the virus. That's not a legal opinion, but I think that's going to be tough to prove. Uh, you have a follow-up to that, Chuck? Anybody there? We have more and more people joining. This is great. Um, anybody else have any questions? I can uh, add to the um, insurance when it comes to COVID, if if you don't mind. Mm -hmm. um, my insurance company, I you know, I don't, I, I I use a sports company basically to run our programs and camps, and I was advised that I mean there is no product to add COVID nineteen insurance to my policy to protect me. So. Um, I do think it's a pretty difficult, I believe Ed just said that as well, pretty difficult thing to, you know, be accountable for if you, especially if, if your optics are good and you're, and you're providing the safest measures possible at your program. So I didn't have to uh, dive into any additional coverage for COVID moving forward with my insurance policy. Thank you. Great, great information. Uh, 
I will, I will give you all some good news from Joseph. Thank you, Joseph, for saying this. Governor Cuomo just declared tennis a low-risk uh, recreational activity. So hopefully that will help us get back on the tennis court. Chuck just writes, no, I think we need to discuss with lawyers also. I, I totally agree. You know, that was the last, one of the last things I said in my, in my presentation was seek legal counsel on, on questions you may have in terms of employment, in terms of protocols. Um, if you're going to terminate someone, make sure that you're going to get the right legal counsel before you terminate them. And document, Renee, as she said, document everything. Make sure that the policy is across the club and across your facility, not aimed at one person in particular. Any other questions? It's been a wonderful hour. Um, thank you all for your support. And uh, obviously I will put this up on the website um, and I'll probably email you all too, because I have an email list. So I'll email you, Joseph wanted to know that he could get a recording of this, which I will send out. And, um, and if you have any questions afterwards, please uh, forward them to the email. And I look forward to hearing from all of you at some point. Have a great summer out there. Good luck in reopening and, and stay healthy. Thank you for listening to the BeyondTheBaselines.com podcast. I'm your host, Ed Shanafee, and it's a pleasure bringing you every week news and views and great guests from our tennis and fitness industry. You can always reach me at BeyondTheBaselines at gmail.com or by phone at the office on 508-538-1288. Please do visit our website, BeyondTheBaselines.com, and on our site, there's a link to our Patreon page, which has even more information for you and your club and your facility in our wonderful industry. Thanks for listening. See you again soon.